0: My occultic training began at age four and a half, and I was chosen for a very high position uh, to succeed one of my family members, which uh, was the Queen Mother of Darkness position. This is a, a well-organized system, and it operates as such, and really, you know, who is the head of that system? It's Lucifer or Satan. And then underneath them, they're going to oversee the five departments of the system that manage the system's assets so those five departments are the masons the mormons the jesuit catholic uh the Kabbalah, and the satanists you know what are the assets that they're overseeing for the system it's children they had me in a pentagram laying down and all of a sudden the spirit is coming through this you know massive pentagram through the floor you know at that age like i, I was between four and a half, five, And as I stood up, like the only thing coming to my mind was the B-I-B-L-E song. I stood there and I started stomping my feet and singing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. And as I sang that song, you know, Asheroth had no power. This major principality had no power or authority. She couldn't do anything. Once you're chosen then, they do have procedures and protocols where, you know, I went through a satanic baptism. Right after my satanic baptism, you know, she had to clean me up, and she she literally rebaptized me right in a bathtub when she was, you know, cleaning me up. So, um, you know, as she baptized me, she said, "Don't ever forget, you know, Jesus loves you and you belong to Him." So, you know, as they were attempting to do some of the things that were required the baptisms the blasphemies uh, covenants with demonics uh, principalities and stuff like that um, but there was this constant you know where the lord was undoing everything that they were trying to do
1: Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. Today we're privileged to bring you an interview with the one and only Jessie Zaboder, and we're excited to have her on today as she gets into her story that she's told many times on many shows, but we dig deep after she lays the groundwork for how she was groomed to be a mother of darkness in a satanic cult. An extremely high level Position in the satanic Systems She discusses the satanic orders Which are the human systems And hierarchy in different Places around the world In different systems around the world And then we talk about Some of the local areas Near where I live in Wisconsin uh, That Are used in Occult and satanic ways Underground connecting churches and businesses and just creepy things that uh, are done in secret in ways that the enemy tries to defile the land. So this is just the first half of our interview, so we kind of laid the groundwork for her story and what she was brought up into, and what you will see is how God is supreme over all of these things. Even in her four-and-a-half-year-old experience, seeing how God was supreme over these evil entities. And, and that's how it works, guys. The, the way it works is when we abdicate our human responsibility to the enemy, uh, then God seems to be weak because we're not allowing God to reign and rule in our hearts and we give the enemy a foothold. But when we operate in the way that God meant us to, in righteousness and purity, the enemy has to flee and he has no power whatsoever. So with that, enjoy the first half of this interview with Jesse. Yeah, so welcome Jesse Saboter to the Days of Noah podcast. We are privileged to have you here. I know you've been on a lot of shows over the last few years, um, different platforms, telling your story, different aspects of it. And one thing we try to do here is just dive deeper. And I'm a naturally curious person, and one question leads to another. And so, um, I also have you know, Luke and I grew up here in Wisconsin. He's in Louisiana now, but I'm I'm in Dane County, and um, so there's there's some of the things in your. Affidavits that were connecting a lot of these areas, um, so that's that's one of the things I was most interested in in talking about this time around. So, um, but for just our listeners and maybe they have people haven't come across you yet, they haven't heard your story. You know, give the five ten minute version of what you grew up in and what you were being groomed for. And I know a lot of the grisly details are in your affidavits, but kind of that overview of what you came from.
0: Yeah. So I like to start with, you know, I really grew up in a home that was classified as Christian. Uh, My father's side were your, I guess, what I would call average Lutheran family. Uh, They went to church on the holidays as well as on, you know, periodic weekends. But I kind of joke because the only thing that side ever did was religiously was fish You know, strong fishermen, strong Scandinavian background. On my other side, they were devout Catholics and, you know, attended mass regularly, prayed. Um, Everything on the outside of that family, you know, had this appearance of godliness. But really, you know, who were they? Um, Members of that family were high-level Luciferian brotherhood. So, you know, that's the family that I found myself in. Before my occultic training even began, God was working, and at age two, um, we had our house pipes free, so we had to move in with a member of my father's family, and that member was a real strong Christian, and he and his wife began to take us to church, and I can remember my first time there, I was in the nursery, and the only kid... And there was this amazing Mexican woman named Lily. And, you know, someday this woman will know the full extent of all God used her for. But um, what I loved about Lily was that she wasn't one to water down the gospel or, you know, make it feel like children can't understand the word of God. You know, she was somebody she just literally sat me on her lap, opened up the Bible and began to read to me from the book of John. And you know, at that moment it was like my heart leaped. I knew it was true. There was just that desire to hear and know God and his word. And um, you know, that was the, the basics of my the basic start of my faith. Um as you know, the year progressed, I ended up coming to the Lord at age three, as did my mother. Um she, you know, believed she was a Christian, but she had never actually made that commitment or, you know, come into that relationship with the Lord. So at age three, um, I and my mom got saved. And then, uh, my occultic training began at age four and a half. And I was chosen for a very high position, uh, to succeed one of my family members, which, uh, was the queen mother of darkness position. Now I'll go over a quick, uh, Overview for everybody um, of the structure of the system. And again, you know, this is the Luciferian Brotherhood. And what I want to emphasize is that, you know, this is not just your segregated little cult or, you know, occult. Um, this is not something where you just have a few members here or there and, you know, they do their ritual practices or things on the side you know this is a a well organized system and it operates as such and really you know who is the head of that system it's lucifer or satan i use both interchangeably um but with that said you know at the very top of that structure you have the mothers of darkness there's five of them underneath them you have those who kind of act as the ceos or the board of directors Uh, for the system, and that's the Satanic or Druidic Council. Now, they have many different names. Uh, They go by the Global Alliance, the Federation Alliance, um, the Galactic Federation, the (laughs) World Governing Council. So many names, and and they have some special subchambers that are kind of higher-level councils that rule quadrantly and make final decisions, Um, Underneath them, you know, they're going to start to um, assign territories and authority. So each of those councilmen are going to oversee a quadrant, both it could be internationally as well as in the United States. So you're, you know, north, south, east, west. They're going to directly work with, um, you know, their regional manager, which who oversees an entire quadrant. And that's going to be the grand high priest and priestesses. Then underneath them, you know, it begins to really break down regionally over every region. So, you know, let's just say the Eastern quadrant, you're going to have many regional uh, leaders. Those are going to be your high priest and priestesses. And then underneath them, they're going to oversee the five departments of the system that manage the system's assets. So those five departments are the Masons, the Mormons, the Jesuit Catholic, uh, the Kabbalah, and the Satanists. Now, as you begin to get into those five departments, you know what are the assets that they're overseeing for the system? It's children. Um, you have two assets. First, you have the hierarchy children, which those are those who are born into the system to take certain positions and to keep the system running. So it doesn't have to be high-level people, like they may not even be on that hierarchy triangle. Um, It could be someone as simple as, you know, the lady who is the Catholic Church secretary. So it could be any position that they deem, you know, is necessary to keep the system going.
1: And are these people um, uh, come from like a satanic bloodline, like Nephilim DNA, that kind of thing, or not necessarily?
0: Um, the majority will. So I'll say yes, but the majority will, but kind of how they classify bloodline is, you know, bloodline is going to be your higher level hierarchy children. So it doesn't mean that those who aren't considered bloodline aren't somehow, you know, connected to bloodline families or because there's been so much interbreeding, um, you know, you can have quite a bit of people who are bloodline, but they're just not called that because they, you know, don't fit into a certain position within the structure. So, okay, yeah. And the other asset is the, what they call the expendable children. And, you know, I don't believe any child is expendable, but these are the children that they, you know, use solely to profit off of. Um, there's several major ways that they profit off each child, you know, first, they're going to sell that child sexually, uh, when that child can no longer be exploited. Um, then they're going to, you know, offer, kind of put a offer out whoever in the system wants to buy that, you know, pay money to ritually kill or cannibalize that child can do that. Um, Then, after that's done, you know, they're going to pay more money to turn the remains into diamonds. Uh, Those can be kept as trophies, Um, you know, like our popes keep trophy rings. Uh, They also could be sold on the black market um, as jewelry or, you know, as high level. Um, Really, what they use those diamonds for is for sex magic um, within the system. And then, after that, they'll sell the ashes to the pharmacia and the food companies for cursed filler. So they'll curse those ashes. And then, you know, Scripture says that anybody who consumes flesh is cursed. Mm. So they get it in our food. They get it in our pharmacia, so that it begins to harm our body. So that's the basics of the structure. And then, um, you know, from there, really, You know, my training was not just in the Luciferian system because this brotherhood works within our U.S. government as well as our U.S. military. And they have a military of their own, which is the sovereign military order. So, you know, my training began to um, be connected to the U.S. military. Um, I was involved in three major programs, um, but it's not limited to those. Um, my main abuser and teacher in the system was a Nazi by the name of Michael Karkok. Uh, He was the Ukrainian Legion of Defense leader for Adolf Hitler. And, uh, you know, he came over to the United States after World War II. And his job was to, you know, train individuals within our US military how to you know, run the programs and how to oversee training for hierarchy children and pretty much for the entire system. Um, his specialty was operating spiritual gates. So, you know, the two people that he um, trained primarily were Colonel Michael Aquino, who was head of our Department of Defense, and then uh, John O'Brennan, who was head of our CIA uh, Kino was put in charge of all the Western programs, while John Brennan was put in charge of all the Eastern programs. Um, so in that, their focuses were a little different. Uh, Brennan focused more on, you know, experiments, projects on creating hybrid children, people who would have, you know, the genetics, the skills um, to do what they what they wanted to do to fulfill their agenda. Whereas, you know, Aquino was more the operational side. You know, what do you do with these children? How do you train them? How do you get them to be, you know, those um, specialty, whether it was, you know, military individuals or um, world leaders, whatever their position was supposed to be, how do you train them to operate at that high level level, within the Luciferian brotherhood for the ultimate agenda, which for them, you know, what is Lucifer's agenda? It's literally to get his people, you know, people and his demonic generals into the courts of heaven so that um, he can usurp the throne of God. Right. So let me, let
1: let me ask you real quick, uh, just back up to the, to the hierarchy and the structure there that you mentioned about the Luciferian uh, brotherhood. So, you got down to that level where you had the five kind of areas and one of them is the Masons, right? How does that structure as you're going down from Satan himself, mothers of darkness and so on, do you know how that compares to, um, so like we've had Gary Wayne on the show a couple of times and he's talking about, you know, you got like a council of 300 and you've got 13, you know, and, and, and so on. And then like, You get down to like the Illuminati, but then above them are the Rosicrucians. They're like a higher level. So, do you know how that all fits in, or is that like an offshoot of just that that one of those five, the Masons?
0: No, it it does uh, fit in. So, what you have is um, Council of Three Hundred is what they consider the main seats of the council. So that's the main board of directors, and then. When you get into the special chamber groups of the council, that's they all go by odd numbers. So you have the council of five, the council of seven, you know, 11, nine, um, 13, up to 21. So, you know, they'll be called in if there's a matter within the quadrant that they oversee that can't be um, settled, you know, then the special chambers will be called to deal with that matter. So, you know, up until May of 21, um, you know, the main person overseeing that, um, you know, general counsel area, that was George Soros. But in May of 21, he stepped down and we had Barack Obama, who's part of the light side of the system, step into that position as the phoenix of the council. So he oversees. Uh, you know, the Council of 300 or the uh, Satanic Council. Then you have, um, you know, the special chambers, you have kind of a representative who oversees all those little councils and that's Somerset Belenoff. So that's, you know, how I understand that. Then when you start to get into the Mason side, you know, you do have those individuals that interface. So, you know, one of their... you know, top leaders is going to be the supreme illustrious leader. They're going to be the individual that is over uh, the worshipful masters. Who you know, in the potentates, they're the ones who oversee um, the grand lodges. So, you know, who is that supreme illustrious leader? That's the high. That's a high priest in the area who's assigned to kind of oversee that. Now within that structure, um, you know, you have a a bunch of orders and kind of how it works is that they really only call themselves masons or freemasons up to the third degree. So you have those recruiting phases or entry degrees, um, which is, you know, the first through the third. After that, you know, after they become a master mason, they can specialize in as many orders or circles as they want. It just depends on, you know, kind of what their humanitarian efforts are, as well as, you know, what magic specialty are they going into? Are are they considering themselves more right hand, which is, you know, light magic or white magic or are they considering themselves left-hand, which is dark magic? So based on, you know, whether they're more esoterical or not, that's going to, you know, make a difference on which orders they align themselves with. Um, so, you know, you've got all these inner crossing there, you know, between the departments then, especially the Masons, the Jesuit, Catholic, and the Mormons. Where you know they begin to align with the different orders, um, you know. So you could have they could be Knights of Columbus, plus they could be you know Royal Ark, Rosicrucian, um, you know Order of the Scarlet Cord, Order of the Monitor, Order of the Pelican, um, you know Order Eastern of the- Star for the ladies. Yeah. Tall trees. And those are the ladies get a little different because with that, you're dealing with priestess groups um, Mm -hmm. where you have the Eastern Star. You have the daughters of the Nile, the daughters of Sarah and Rebecca. Uh, You have the priestesses of Delphi, the priestesses of Melissa. Um, So you get all these priestess orders that begin to come into that. And at the highest levels, there's pretty much, you know, the top three um orders are gonna be Order of the Golden Dawn and Order of the Phoenix. Golden Dawn is gonna be a little bit more esoterical, and uh that's considered more light side of the system. Was or, that
1: C.S. Lewis was in that?
0: I believe so, yes. Yeah. And okay. also known as the um uh Temple Orientis. Is its other name. Um, then you have the highest order, which is the order of Melchizedek, which is, you know, the false priesthood, not the order of Melchizedek that scripture speaks of that's under Jesus Christ. You know, at the end of the day, these Luciferian brotherhood believe that they're gods, that, you know, they can step into that place of God. So, order of Melchizedek is the highest level. Um, if you want to learn more about that, they have a reflection book, meaning, you know, it's a safe book to read. You're not going to be summoning any spirits. You're not going to be, you know, getting any weird beliefs or ideologies. It's meant for them to reflect and and learn how the brotherhood operates. So um, that book is called Initiates of the Flame by Manly P. Hall. And uh, in that you know that gives a good outline of of what the order of Melchizedek believes. uh you'll see in there that you know who are they defining as God you know it it seems like there's a lot of Christian talk in there, but when you yes. get when you get through it, you realize you know who are they saying is God the Almighty, God the all clandestine, you know God who blows the wind into the hearts of men. Really, it's Lucifer and demonic principalities. So that, that comes out in that book. You know, mm-hmm. and I've I've put out some things on Timothy Charles Homeseth lately on the Delphi assessment, where I really, you know, break down some of those um, quotes from that book to show, you know, the worship of Lucifer, the worship of the demonic spirits, and, um get into details in that so
1: yeah so a question about the uh, white and black sides so is that the same as white and black square freemasonry where you have some on the white side who are the benevolent they're here to help humanity supposedly but they're still pushing the same agenda versus the you know the dark side which is about you know chaos and disorder and so on or is that totally separate
0: yeah i mean y- you can learn more about it um in a book called legendo by albert pike who also was a mason but what we see in that checkered floor you know it does represent the light and the dark side and what they call it is equilibrium so right. they're always going to have that equilibrium and you know what that means is that you know they believe that there's constantly two forces One is going to be good, one's going to be evil, one will be light, the other dark, one's male, one's female. And those forces are constantly at war with each other, yet they need each other. They can't exist apart from each other. So the system does a lot to build um, that equilibrium within itself.
1: Right and I I've, I've heard that uh I think it was from Bill Schneeblen said that like even the word the force in Star Wars is a satanic term the force that, that that came from satanism and yeah so that duality is is very interesting even the dark knight movies you know you know Joker and the Batman can't live without each other it, it seems a, a common theme
0: Yeah a lot of those themes do come from those concepts within the system. And um, I did a great series on Aquarius rising called uh, firecrackers with a And I go through um, some of his books and different, you know, reveal different truths about the projects and experiments. And uh, we talked about that term, the force uh, talked about Darth Vader. Where did the star Wars um you know, ideas and things come from. And really, it, it came from, you know, spiritual warfare, things that wow. the US military was doing. And then, you know, they found a way to profit off that uh, through movies, through comic books, through different things. They took scenarios of real life, um, war, you know, spiritual warfare um, in those projects and experiments. So...
1: Yeah, so that's where they're getting a lot of these ideas for shows and mm-hmm. and movies. That's incredible. Um, so going back to your upbringing, I mean, you had that that dear woman uh, showing you the gospel at two years old, yeah. where you're, you know, basically the I would say maybe the minimum age that you could uh, comprehend these things, even even with God's help, maybe. But um, I think that's so fascinating because in in Bill again, Bill Schneblen's testimony, you know, he was a high-level Mason, Druid, a Satanist, I mean, you name it, before he came to Christ. And one of the things that brought him out of it, one of the main things, was he was trying to cash a check to, or send a check to the Church of Satan. And there was a Christian lady at a bank that didn't let that check go through and replied to him somehow and said, I'm praying for you. And all of his occult powers stopped. And I just think it's so fascinating how deep someone can be in dedicated towards the satanic, and something so simple as a prayer or a gospel presentation can break that. Were you actually um, like dedicated SRA, you know, um, in the womb, or did that come later in in your you know infancy?
0: Yeah, it it came later for me. Um, I'm not sure if there, you know, if there were um, womb rituals that were done, usually in the system, they'll do the moon child rituals. um, You know, so there's a, a high plausibility that some of those were done. But my mother was, you know, she wasn't in the system. So she had grown up in that family. They had, you know, she had nightmares. I know she experienced some things as a kid. Um, but you know, the Lord had just really protected her where, you know, she wasn't actively involved in all those things. She really, you know, wanted to get out, get away from the abuses of the family. And that's what she attempted to do when she fled and, uh, fled to the U S military, not knowing, all the interconnections. So, mm-hmm. um, but God, you know, God honored that and he brought her to a place where she could come into that relationship with him. So, you know, I know that the things that I did go through, you know, there was a time of testing starting at age four and a half where, you know, they look, the system looks at like all of their ancient prophecies, you know, where they're reading the stars, the times, the seasons, things that, you know, will line up towards the end time and their agenda. Um, You know, they're looking at your bloodline, your spiritual gifts. And then, you know, from those things, they, you know, they call it divining, but they're divining who's meant for which positions, which tasks, things like that. So, you know, once you're chosen, then, They do have procedures and protocols where, you know, I went through a satanic baptism. Um, But even that, you know, the Lord had aligned me with, you know, one of the older women uh, who her job was to kind of do all my ritual prep and, you know, to get me ready and to do cleanup afterwards, things like that, you know, to make sure I was dressed or, you know, as I was learning, you know, these end time rituals Um, Her job was to make sure I'd be standing in the proper, you know, position, proper place that I walked like I was supposed to walk. Um, So I had, you know, a couple women that were involved in that, but one of them, you know, she had come to the Lord and was, you know, found herself stuck in that, you know, in that duality, there really was no way out. Um, You know, so she was dealing with several of Us children, so me and my training partners, and and then other kids that would be involved in that, and um, you know, so some of those things like she would try to undo. So she would always tell us, you know, remember Jesus is the decode. You know, remember Jesus loves you. Um, Right after my satanic baptism, you know, she had to clean me up. And she she literally rebaptized me right in a bathtub when she was you know cleaning me up. So um, mm-hmm. you know as she baptized me, she said, "Don't ever forget, you know Jesus loves you and you belong to Him." So you know as they were attempting to do some of the things that were required, the baptisms, the blasphemies, the um, you know I'm going to be coming out with more, but you know we do uh, covenants with demonics uh, principalities and stuff like that. Um, but there was this constant, you know, where the Lord was undoing everything that they were trying to do as it was happening. So.
1: Wow. Yeah. And, um, and why don't you touch upon just as much as you want? Um, yeah, kind of that, what was it age about four ish to 10 where you were, yeah, being groomed, your grandma's the one that is, is, is grooming you to take over her spot as a mother of darkness. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, how God brought you out of that with that, uh, miraculous kind of, uh, interjecting himself almost, a, almost like a, like a Saul on the Damascus road kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So my intensives were from age four and a half to 10. And, um, the majority of the, high-level hierarchy children will be fully trained by age 10 to step into their position if they're needed to. Um, you know, so that training, it goes all day, all night. At the same time, you know, you're, you're really living a dual life. Um, you know, you've got your, your one life that looks like, you know, it, it's your cover life. It looks normal. You look like you go to school. You're signed in. Yet, you know, the moment you're signed in, you're you're sent somewhere else for your training. And a lot of that training occurs in the spirit world. Um, there is a lot of interfacing between the physical and the spiritual. Because there's no time in the spiritual, um, you know, they have to keep time to stay, you know, within that physical time realm. So it is very simple to... You know, what would seem like sometimes it could seem like days or weeks in your training, um, you know, but it could just simply be a couple hours um, physically. So, you know, we would always be home for dinner and then, you know, they would drug my family so that they would be sleeping and then my nighttime training would continue. Uh, I was the same with my training partner. And usually there was about a three hour difference in there, um, you know, we're between one to, you know, six or, or I'm sorry, three to six is usually when we got to sleep. So, um, that was, you know, our regular schedule. Then we'd be up again at six, getting ready for school and, you know, pretending to be just living a normal life and getting back into training every day. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of intensive, things in that time period. And what happened at age 10 was that uh, we had a family funeral. And uh, as I was at the funeral, I had turned away from the grave and was walking back to the car. And all of a sudden, the Lord just spoke to me and he said, I've released you from them. And it was almost like this wedge came down in the spiritual. And I knew, you know, they had lost all power, all authority over me. And so, you know, even from that moment on, like, they just couldn't come, you know, or take me or make me participate in rituals or, or different things. Um, There were several times that they still, you know, attempted, but they had to, like, really drug me. And then, you know, like, I still wouldn't participate.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: um, you know, but I have some of those memories where, you know, they did try to drug me and, you know, try to get me to do stuff, and they just couldn't. Um, so that was how the Lord delivered me really with a mighty hand in that.
1: And and even prior to that, because you had professed faith at, you know, a toddler age, um, you had already kind of a measure of protection and an unwillingness to, to go along with a lot of things, even though you observe so much atrocity right so they were working on yeah, all yeah
0: yeah i had to participate in quite a lot not meaning that i actually you know engaged in it but i had to witness i had to observe um you know there was a lot of death because of my unwillingness to participate within that you know it, really the trauma was mixed with great miracles um You know, there were things that they would do, like trying to connect me to demonic principalities. Um, You know, the first one that they tried to connect me with was Ashtaroth, uh, who's called the Queen of Heaven. And, um, you know, they had me in a pentagram laying down. And, you know, all of a sudden, the spirit is coming through this, you know, massive pentagram through the floor. And, you know, I can remember I just like I stood up And the only thought through my mind was, oh, heck no, (laughs) you know. And I had, you know, at that age, like I was, you know, just, I think, barely, I I was between four and a half, five. Um, You know, I didn't have this, you know, mass experience of spiritual warfare. I didn't have all these scripture verses memorized. Like, you know, I, I had things that, you know, Lily had read to me in scripture. I had little, you know, Bible songs, children's Mm -hmm. songs that she had taught me in Sunday school. And as I stood up, like the only thing coming to my mind was the B-I-B-L-E song. And I, you know, I stood there and I started stomping my feet and singing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. And as I sang that song, you know, Asheroth had no power, this major principality, had no yeah. power or authority; she couldn't do anything. You know, she had to go back down, you know, into that uh, sacred space. And um, you know why I share that is because you know, if as a young child, if I was able to, you know, overcome a major principality with the BIBLE song, yes, then why, as adults, are we so held back? Why are we afraid to address? The principalities, and to say, you know what? No, I'm not giving you a place. You have no authority. You have no power in my life. And in fact, I'm removing your authority. And as the Lord says, the Lord rebukes you get out of here. Get out of my family. Get out of my home life. You know, get your hands out of my community. In fact, I'm tearing down your strongholds. Take those with you, too. You know, you're not leaving any chains of wickedness or oppression here.
1: Right. I, and that's and that's, that's, that's the great. usurpation that they try to do by us giving permission, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. in other talks and things, you know, in a state of unrighteousness. Yep. Then they can usurp our dominion over, you know, this this earthly realm. Are you familiar with Blurry Creatures at all? The Nate and Luke. Yes. Okay, so they had a fantastic recent episode. I forget the number one seventy two, one seventy seven, something. They had two ladies that apparently had ne- have never publicly talked about their SRA upbringing, and the amount of detail. I would the only thing I could compare it to would be maybe your affidavits, as far as just the detail that they shared. But they had a similar experience where. There was this, this guy. I don't know. I don't believe he was a spirit, but he would transform and he would fly around the room and just do. He was like a head dude that was, and they were dealing with or observing. And yeah, they, they shut him down with God's power and he's like literally pounding the ground upset that they interrupted his rituals and things like that you know, as children. And it's just, I just want to highlight that to show mm-hmm. the power of God in this still small voice over evil that loves to flex its muscles and show how it's strong. It looks. Yeah. And here's God in the background. Just like, no,
0: <laughs> it's not happening. That's what he yep. says.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, um, excellent. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. Um, that background, I think, yeah, again, just, I know your story's told in a lot of different places and people can definitely look those up, but I at least want to give kind of that, that basis so that if someone hasn't heard uh, that, they at least have that foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that, again, I was quite fascinated about your testimony is just how much of these types of um, satanic workings are going on in our local areas in wisconsin where i'm from you know chicago rockford and so on um so if if you wouldn't mind i'd love to go through and 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 feel free to say like if you're not able to share because i know you're you're limited in some of the things with your affidavits about the details but um so you're mentioning um Rush Hospital in Chicago, um, Cathedral of St. Peter, which is, is that Rockford?
0: Yeah, that used to be um, St. Peter's Church, but they changed the name to Cathedral St. Peter in Rockford, Illinois. Okay.
1: Yeah, and so, and this is what I'm finding this theme, like one of the earlier um, dives that, that my brother and I took, and did an episode on was reviewing uh, Fiona Barnett's testimony Mm -hmm. um, in Australia and, and just how interconnected, you know, the government, the police, the judges and the churches were all working together and how on the, on the very same altar, not even necessarily in a catacomb or underneath, you know, in the basement, but sometimes in the very same auditorium on the same altar that, a good devout anglican or catholic or lutheran would show up to they're doing these these horrendous rituals um and that's something i, I mean i definitely want to get into that with you at some point about uh just how infiltrated mm-hmm. our our churches are and our seminaries and all of these things but but just sticking to for for the time being to kind of maybe the wisconsin area <clears throat> um you're talking about the, the underground uh, tunnel systems and um, deep underground military bases, um, the walls system. That's something I definitely want to ask you about because it's connected to Verona, Wisconsin
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and Epic, which um, I lost my job recently. But um, I worked pretty close to Epic and um, we're doing home church now, but our previous church i mean half the people it seemed like works at epic mm-hmm. and they're you know good godly people but um yeah why don't you get into some of that with ashton wisconsin and um yeah. and epic and that, the that little
0: church there was the was the very place where the lord um you know at age 10 delivered me from the system so it was right there on that ground Um, that's one of their main, um, headquarters underground there and where the base of the wall is. So a lot of my early testimony, um, occurred at the parish house that they've torn down from that church. Um, you know, and there's really all that's there is the church and you've got maybe two family farms, um, you know, and, and that's kind of their central hub Uh, so it was interesting, you know, later as Epic came up, you know, when it's, they initially advertised they were out of Ashton, Wisconsin, which there's nothing there but brotherhood. So, um, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, what's going on here? Um, but you've got, you know, a lot of people who are in that brotherhood circle then who began, um, you know, to found the EPIC system, which, you know, what is that? That's, you know, your hospital charting. So it's this massive charting system that has now gone throughout, um, you know, the majority of the hospital systems within the United States. I think there are some international connections with that as well. But on there, they, you know, they're able to track everything. Uh, from the, t- you know, from the time you're born all the way through your health, you know, any mental health, any chaplain stuff you have. Um, so, you know, I've, I've put out that I, you know, it's my firm belief that really that's a way that the system is monitoring people. Um, there's a lot more that they do with it that I believe is connected with adrenochrome harvesting, organ harvesting, and, uh You know, blood collection um, for their ritual walls and things that they have underground in those areas. So, um, you know, that was one of the initial walls. Uh, You also have a major wall that's connected under uh, that Rockford, Illinois area under the Cathedral of Saint Peter as well. So, those were two of the main ritual walls.
1: And can you explain what a ritual wall is? I know you talked about it in your affidavit about, you know, the handprints and that in Epic, they have one of these. Yeah. Can you unpack that and some of the examples?
0: So the ritual walls are walls that are underground that are set apart um, where they will, you know, when a child reaches age five, who's born into the system, they're going to have them put their handprint in blood um, up on the wall. And it serves as, you know, kind of like a quantum currency. It's a for, you know, it's it's really like a marker for you. But what it is, is it, it's a dedication wall to, you know, the demonic principalities and to L- Lucifer. So, you know, primarily Mol- Molin, or sorry, Baal and Moloch. Yeah. Um, So it serves as, you know, it's part of the blood sacrifice treaty that they have in the system. So um, up until the time you put your handprint on the wall, they'll go through a series where they're making children practice. So, you know, that's where they'll use paint. Um, You know, they used to have us, um, you know, big pieces of paper on the floor and we would have to, you know, practice putting our handprints on there. Those later, because they still contain your a quantum identifier, which is your fingerprints, um, they would buy, sell, and trade those um, paintings and other things. Um, you know, our sales were at one of the Frank Lloyd Wright houses. And, you know, they had all these donor sponsors come in who would buy and sell all these little Things that the kids had made, you know, they make it seem like, oh, you know, we're raising money for the schools or whatever. But you've basically got these high level elites that will come in. And what they're really doing is they're buying um, soul rights. So it's rights, you know, it's an unknown treaty to be able to use your soul energies uh, to be able to have a piece of your destiny that God's given you. Uh, which includes, you know, your footprints, every place the sole of your foot trods. The Lord's giving you that land, so you know. Then wherever you go, it gives them energy rights to um, connect to that land. Everywhere your fingerprints are, um, you know, deals with the work of God's hands for you, and um, you know, so they'll they'll buy into that. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting,
1: it. right there too, because. You touched on how they get their, I guess, legal right is through Mm -hmm. scripture, right? Every word of God being true. yeah. And they don't play fair, but they do play legal. So if there is a legal loophole that they can exploit and say, it says right here in your word, that's what they do, right?
0: Right. And, you know, most of that right that they use is unrighteousness. But the unfairness is that, you know, once you confess your sins, um, you know, you're back into that place of righteousness. Well, they don't go telling you, oh, you know, let me give you all that I've stolen from you back because you're righteous now. If you're not aware of it, they just continue to use it.
1: Yeah, it's like, like, uh, you know, a lost and found or something at a a police station, right? You got to go claim it. Like just because it's yours exactly. and no one has it, right? So yeah, so so these walls, uh, so there's one at Epic that you can view with 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 paint, or is there one with blood underneath, they, or both? They
0: have one of the, um, you know, the, we'll just call it a wall representation above ground. So that is, I think, in that lower. Uh, some of the lower level corridors where you can go and see all the children's handprints in cement there. Uh, but that's representative of the real ritual wall that extends underground there that goes, you know, all throughout that area to the Ashton area, um, extends into some of the Madison area. It, it, you got over two hundred years worth of handprints down there, oh my
1: gosh, so there's connections underground i don't i don't I didn't look this up yet uh between Ashton and Verona. I don't know how far that is, but there's connections underground to that and then to Madison and so on,
0: yeah, you've got vast tunnel networks that extend down there,
1: wow, okay, but at epic itself they they don't have one of the blood ones as far as you know, but Ashton.
0: Most I likely does. Do. Oh, you I think believe, they do? Okay. I believe they do. And where you see the replicas, um, that's signifying that you do have a wall underground there.
1: And so the, uh, you mentioned in your affidavit about um, the owners coming from Ashton. So, what do you think their involvement and connection is?
0: Yeah, I, I have brought out in my affidavit that I believe that they're Luciferian Brotherhood. Wow.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Um, Where to go from there? Um, You mentioned House on the Rock too. What What does that have?
0: Yes, Frank Lloyd Wright properties. Um, What you have in there is, you know, that land sits adjacent to, um, we'll say, three, four other properties that are all considered ritual ground. Um, That land is actually considered ritual ground as well. Um, So I grew up, you know in that area, um, we'll just say, you know, pretty much that entire area, um, the high level masons in there are connected to that brotherhood, uh, circle that I was a part of and, um, they use that ground. So, um, you know, there's some interesting things as you look into it, you'll find it connected to some of our politicians, um. I can't exactly say their name, but, uh, you know, one of them had another property in Texas where they would do hunting and other things. But, um, you know, there's some interesting stories as you look into Frank Lloyd Wright and his connection, uh, with that, you know, same last name as some of our politicians have. And, um, you know, at one point Frank Lloyd Wright ran, uh, with, with that woman, um, who was connected to that and uh, they ran with a one-year-old that wasn't theirs and the system tracked and hunted them down and when they brought them back, um, it cost that woman and her children their lives and they made up some bogus story about a servant that killed them all, Um, but people in the system knew that wasn't true and, you know, we're told that wasn't true and we're told, you know, that it dealt with, you know, the covering of Nazis and uh, Nazi heirs that were in our country. So, um, you know, I can testify, too, that Frank Lloyd Wright was one of the main architects that they chose uh, to build specific designs according to, you know, how they wanted, um, you know, I guess how would we put it? Um, When you go into any city, if you're a higher level brotherhood, you can look at, you know, the city sigil. You can look at the welcoming board to see who all the brotherhood in that area are. You can look at the building structures, and from those structures, you can know, you know, where are you going to go for food. Where are you going to go for lodging? Where are you going to go if you want to engage in prostitution or sexual things uh, with children? Where would you go for cannibalism? Uh, where would you go for rituals? So the structured designs are important because it, it they use it as a means to communicate with each other. So Frank Lloyd Wright was one of their approved um, architects who, you know, back in, I think it It was earlier when um, they asked him to build up the Chicago area and the Wisconsin areas. So, you know, some of my family lines were part of those seven financial backers of the system who paid him to build up those areas. Hmm.
1: And is there something to certain shapes that they'll use? Because I've heard about like the trapezoid as an unfinished uh, pyramid is an invitation for demonic spirits i don't know if he used trap trapezoids in any of his architecture
0: you do have yeah you have a lot of hidden symbols within that um i do a great coaching um, course on kingdom living with com. you can look for the land assignment one and two but i really go through i break down some of those things like how can you know what certain symbols mean yeah Uh, We will look at building structures. Um, We've been doing a lot with, you know, which uh, with lately, which uh, buildings have spiritual gates. How do you, you know, know what that building is used for? If it's just a gate that goes from point A to B to C to D, or if it's, you know, a spiritual gate that is also used as a temple. Uh, So. Yeah, I break down a lot of those, but yes, he used a lot of those symbols, a lot of the hidden occultic mm. meanings, uh, angles. Hmm. Um, uh,
1: have you visited? Have you gone on that tour in, in that weird, creepy place, House on the Rock?
0: I had, I had been there. Yes, as a kid. So
1: we we went a few years ago, um, and you know, first hour it take it took us like three hours, and we weren't going too slow either. And the first hour or so was like, wow, look at this, look at that. You know, after a while, you're just like, I just want to get out of here. It's dark, dank, dusty, creepy. I mean, I would never go back. I don't know if that has any connection because that, obviously, I think came along as a tourist attraction, that part of it, maybe much later, although it's on the grounds. But. Yeah, it's very creepy there. <laughs> I
0: think instead of tourists, we should use the word profit. It's yeah, you know, they like to find ways to profit, um, make money on the in the places where they do evil things. So yeah, that became one of their ways that they profit.